Welcome to part three of our health series. We will be talking about the psychology of health today. If it is your first time with us, be sure to also go back to part one and part two of this series for more history, biblical referencing of hell, and an exploration of how different cultures and worldviews think of hell and judgment. Just a little forewarning, my microphone had a mishap on this episode, so I will not sound quite like you're used to, but just bear with me because I'm telling you, this might be one of my favorite episodes we've done to date. Good morning, Jenny. Hey, good morning. Today we are talking about the psychology of health. I'm very excited about this talk. What it means when we talk about the psychology of hell in this episode is we're exploring how does hell affect our minds and our mental health and how do our minds and our mental health inform our concept of hell, which I think is very important when you're considering deconstructing the idea of hell. If you're like me, coming from a Christian standpoint, you know, this is not at the forefront of your mind because you're thinking, I need to know if it's true. Mm -hmm. I need to know, you know, if the Bible supports this infernal view we've all been taught or if there's wiggle room. Those are the things we focus on. Mm -hmm. And yet there's this whole other side that so many of us, including you and I, have felt, which is that the idea of hell impacts us deeply in our minds and even in our bodies, you know? Yes. So I, I just, I love that we're taking the time to do this. And I do think, you know, for those especially who become agnostic or atheist, this becomes hugely important. If they've rejected the Bible and they've rejected, um, you know, religion maybe, or if they're even just questioning it, then it becomes much more important to them to look at, okay, how have our beliefs affected us? Yeah, you know, because you can still you carry that those feelings in your body even if you reject them, or if you don't focus on them anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not physically, mentally experiencing those effects. Yeah, exactly. So to start off with, we're going to talk about an article that reports findings from three different studies, and this is in our show notes if you're interested in more. Mm-hmm. But the first study was from the Gallup World Poll from 2005 to 2009. So over four years, it was a high quality survey of over 455,000 participants across 155 nations. Yes, and this is a huge, huge, I mean, I don't know, I haven't seen a lot of studies that have more respondents than this. Uh, Typically, I think to get a good sample size is maybe around two to 3,000 respondents. And so to have one that's this large is very useful. And I think they can, mm. you can parse the data in many different ways. And so it's definitely something that we should be paying attention to. Yes. And if you look at it closely, you can look at different nations and how they rank. And it's just, it is a fascinating study mm-hmm. as a whole. Responses from the study produced two national variables of well-being. Life satisfaction rank and daily effect. So the idea is how satisfied overall are you with your life and how satisfied are you on the daily? How's your well-being mm-hmm. from day to day? So they would ask questions probing overall life satisfaction and they would measure the responses on a scale from zero to 10. That's how the participants would gauge their responses. And it was for both present circumstances and what these people expected in the next five years time. Mm -hmm. So the idea being, you know, how satisfied are you now? How satisfied do you think you will be later? 
overall, religion seemed to have a positive effect on people's mental well-being. Yes. But the belief of hell predominantly affected people negatively, Mm -hmm. which added nuance to the fact that, you know, the religious group is seemingly more uh, satisfied with life, Mm -hmm. yet there's this dark bit to it too that those who are not religious don't have to deal with so you you found the same study too and tell me some of what you found when looking at the particular findings from the study sure so really it just goes to reiterate what you've kind of covered is that hell beliefs were associated with lower well-being at the national and individual level whereas heaven beliefs were associated with higher well-being so that kind of shows the the breakdown we've discussed and uh when we just look at Americans, this is also consistent. So that also makes sense, what we would expect to find. So based on the results of these studies, the researchers say it's important to keep in mind that there could be other reasons for this. Like there are multiple pathways and differing beliefs that people can have. So while we do see this causal relationship between hell and negative well-being, we don't understand all of the reasoning behind it yet. Yeah, maybe not conclusive in some ways. Yes. But a lot of times, for you and me and individuals I've talked to, there's also this thought of, wow, did hell traumatize me? (laughs) Did the concept of hell do significant damage to my psyche? And so I wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about, can hell be considered a pathological fear? Yeah. Consider the stakes for for many believers, myself included. I was really concerned with not so much other people going to hell, but like, was I actually saved? Because if I wasn't saved, Mm. then I was going to hell. And that was terrifying. And I couldn't really find a resolution for a very long time. Yeah. So the stakes are really high personally. And then, you know, the facing a pro- the prospect of an eternity of torture and other forms of terrible suffering for yourself or for your loved ones. So it's kind of reasonable to think that this crippling fear, maybe it's warranted. Maybe it's, maybe it's reasonable. Um, mm. So this was the first study I had seen where people, uh, researchers really focused in on this. And so this comes from Baylor University and they tried to measure hell anxiety. And they say it's the first systematic examination of the psychological consequences of belief in hell. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And what they found in general was that individual belief in hell was not in itself connected to any neuroses and that most people did not display an unhealthy focus on the possibility of eternal damnation. So I would be not in that category. I would be in the, I display an unhealthy (laughs) focus. Um, Okay. But me too, honestly. Yeah. But I also wonder a little bit if part of this is we're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. You learn to, I, I don't know. This is fully speculation, right? But it's not till I've been deconstructing and looking back that I thought, wow, the thought of hell impacted so much of what I did. Mm-hmm. But when I was in the moment, I was like, oh, no, I'm saved from that. So it's not a problem. Yeah. You know? And I don't. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know. So they, they, the researchers at Baylor, I don't know exactly. Were they going to very conservative fundamentalist Christians? Were they just interviewing mm. Joe Bill off the street who maybe has some, maybe he would claim to be religious, but he doesn't necessarily have a really like a firm construct. So I'm not sure exactly yeah, who these individuals yeah. are that they were researching. 
But their findings, uh, which surprised even some of the researchers, it wasn't what they were expecting, is that the more religious an individual was, the less likely they were to display hell anxiety. And that, that is surprising maybe is if you are very religious and you feel very confident in your religious beliefs, like you feel very confident okay. you're saved from hell. I think maybe that's what it was getting at. And the unhealthy fears, they were not related to dogmatism or religious fundamentalism, which to me hmm. is surprising because I think yeah. it was related for me. But again, this is a, this is a sample size, so you may not yeah. see yourself in all these statistics. The third finding is that free will, or the idea individuals have control over where they will spend their afterlife, was a key element in reducing hell anxiety. The study found that those who viewed God primarily with fear, those who believed they were likely to go to hell, and those with a sense outside forces could decide their fate were more likely to experience greater hell anxiety and death anxiety. But overall, the results suggested that belief in hell should not be considered a pathological fear, but is perhaps a rational response to personal theological beliefs. That is truly surprising to me. And it's interesting because when you were talking about the people who primarily viewed hell anxiety and death anxiety, Mm -hmm. it sounds like Reformed theology to me. Yes. Which, you know, this idea... Of viewing God through fear. Now, they would say not necessarily, but mm-hmm. I do think that there's a sense of, there's a different level of how you respect God and think of God. I mean, the phrase fear of God, mm-hmm. I know, has been used more with at least my Reformed friends, and they would say that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, terror of God. Right. But I do think there's a bit more of an element of God is not necessarily safe for you. He is good, mm-hmm. but he might not be safe for you. Especially if you're predestined to go to hell. Yes. You know? I may have referenced this before, but the the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where it's like, it's God is restraining himself from just plunging you into hell. Mm. It's it's a very scary view of God, a very, very fear-based. That's kind of how I was brought up in a way, like reading that sort of thing and be like, well, this, this is true. This is how God relates to us. And yeah. That's that's very scary and really isn't focusing on God as being loving and caring for us and being personally invested in us, which I think is a, a shift, which maybe on along the continuum, I don't know that those things are mutually exclusive. It's just where do we put our huh. focus, maybe? I just okay. think there's a lot of yeah freedom in that that can be healthy. Because a lot of people... And I do think I would be in this category, had a very loving relationship, you know, with God. Mm-hmm. What we perceive to be loving, predominantly filled with love and goodness. Yes. And yet we still held to an infernalist view of hell. So it's kind of like, I, I liked how you said it. it's where you put your focus even if you hold all of these thoughts. Right, because it doesn't mean, I personally do believe that there is, a God is just, and there is that, we've talked a lot about that judgment aspect in our in our previous episodes, and so I don't personally discount that, but mm-hmm. that's not where my focus is, and I don't think that's a help, that is not, putting your focus there, I don't think is a true view of God's heart toward us. Or a whole view. A whole us. view, Yes. Just to wrap up the the survey, the Baylor survey, um, most respondents were able to place their understanding of hell in a broader perspective that protected against hell anxiety. So that kind of links back to our first study where we're talking about if you're religious, you 
generally have a, a better outcome. And so when you can place hell in this broader religious perspective, it generally protects you against hell anxiety or, or fear of hell. Hmm. And the, the real main key is that if you have a strong sense of free will, so this goes back to, well, like a Calvinist maybe wouldn't say this, this feeling that you have control over your destiny and a positive image of God are very strong protective factors to so protecting you from hell anxiety. Hmm. So if you feel like you don't have a choice or that outside forces are determining where you're going to spend eternity or your relationship with God, you're going to experience a lot more anxiety. That's really interesting. I do kind of wonder if there are articles or studies done on the Calvinist mindset Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, that you don't get to choose because I've also seen reformed friends who did truly believe that they were saved and that nothing could change it. No, they could not even change it, Mm -hmm. that they were saved, that they were headed towards heaven. So that belief is very comforting. That'd be very, that's a very protective belief for them. Yes, exactly. That that was, it was almost like the free will thing was a barrier that they got to be removed because it, it took the pressure off of, oh, I have to be choosing God my whole life. I have to be choosing. Mm-hmm. It was the idea of like, you will choose God because you're already chosen by God. So I could see that being, in some ways, that feels more sturdy than the idea of you get to freely choose God mm-hmm. and you get to freely not choose God. But then how do you know? I guess I always kind of think, well, how do you know if you're predestined or not? Like, what if you just want to be? And that's where I get really, I mean, then yeah. my anxieties would just go. I know. I think that's where a lot of us would fall, especially those who do end up deconstructing, because when you're deconstructing, a lot of us, I know me included, have been told you're not a Christian now mm. or you're not, you're not, you know, saved or yeah, you you need to repent of what you're doing just by asking questions and digging. And so it's just interesting because me five years ago would never have thought I'd be here having the sorts of discussions we are, mm-hmm. you know, having the sorts of questions I am. It was like I was so secure for moments mm. of my life, mm-hmm. so, so secure in what I believed. And so I wonder if, you know, for a reformed person to to even question may spin you out of uh, control sometimes or feeling like you're in control because oh no, was I not one of the ones God had already chosen? Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is all speculation, but I do I do think about it a lot because I, growing up, I think I oscillated somewhat between that Calvinist sort of mm-hmm. view, that Augustinian view, the predestination, and between free will. I didn't realize there was this oscillation, right. but you know, I, I think I did somewhat. So it just it's interesting to think about now. Yeah, when I think about my own story, and you're talking about oscillating between free will, I think I really struggled with knowing if I had free will, feeling like I didn't have control over where I would end up eternally. And so just seeing this article existed or that the study existed that, oh, it's a big enough deal that people are studying hell and anxiety was very validating because many sleepless nights and weeks and months and legitimate panic attacks kind of came out of this because I just didn't feel like I I could choose. I couldn't choose enough to be saved. And so it felt like Mm. I didn't have free will, I guess. I don't think I would have said that then, but that I think pinpointing it now, I think is what I was experiencing. And it didn't, people around me did not seem to really understand. And I, I didn't share it with a lot of people, but definitely some people did know what I was going through. And 
it, it, I just felt kind of alone. Like I'm the only person experiencing this. Why is this happening to me? Why am I in the wrong for not being able to trust Jesus enough? But how do I trust more? How do I do it more? Yeah. It felt like I, it was out of my control. And the result of that for me is that I've just come to rest in the belief that Jesus is truly loving and he, he helps my unbelief where, where it is lacking. But ultimately I'm resting on the, the comfort that he is loving. He, he is loving toward me. And while judgment is part of his character, doing my best is enough. Um, you know, that my will is, is a decision that I can make on my own. And even as you say that, I don't know if you feel, you know, this evangelical glitch kicks in where it's like, well, doing your best is enough. No, it's never enough. You know, even though that's not even what you're talking about, but we are so taught. So ingrained. What you do doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all, which on the one sense is very, on the one hand, that's very comforting. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, what does that mean about if I'm going to potentially go to eternal damnation, what I do doesn't matter. I have no say. It's very, it's, it's very much like I had someone tell me like, well, you know, your problem with anxiety and all these things is that you're not, you're not submitting your will to Christ. And I'm like, I'm desperately trying. I I want, I can't, Mm. I just, I, I, everything in me is trying to do this and you're, and I can't. And so that was feeling very like I didn't, I didn't have free will. I couldn't do it. And so that's where I come back to the, you know what? me trying that is enough that that is the step that I needed to take and all this other stuff about well your will isn't actually totally submitted or you wouldn't have anxiety anymore well that's bullshit (laughs) that's just not that's not true and so that's where I kind of I have to fall back on well it has to be enough because that's all I can do so that is faith to me like Mm -hmm. that is faith in a nutshell saying I trust I literally trust Mm -hmm. that you're that you're carrying me now yes Yes. I don't know. And the thing, the other thing that I keep wondering about a little bit Mm -hmm. is I was taught, we've kind of touched on this before, but I was taught, of course, like many of us, there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. Nothing good you do. No attempt. God saves you because of his grace. And yet I get really hung up on the point of, I still have to believe the right things about you though. I still have to have this internal disposition towards you though, because to me... While that's not a physical action, mm-hmm. that for both of us, that was the hardest thing to do. There was part of us that wanted that, of course. Yeah. But because of you, you know, you had your reasons why it felt like that was a barrier. I had my right. skepticisms that felt like it was a barrier, even though I so wanted God to be real. I so wanted the Christianity I'd been taught to be real. Mm-hmm. And I did, you know, ultimately kind of land, I think, where you did, where it's like, I don't necessarily fall into the category of what some other people will say is saved, Mm. even as a kid. Mm. And yet I have to trust that if there's a God, he's good and he's actually just. I think that's the thing Mm. for me. Mm -hmm. There's so much of this, the hell anxiety that for me, that really was based in, I don't think God is actually just because who you're telling me goes to hell doesn't make sense. Um, and why they're going. They've never heard the gospel. They never had a chance. Well, they say that's not why they're going to hell. They're just sinful inherently. But it's still, there was this sense of, I don't feel like that's just, so I'm scared now of God. Anyway, it's just really interesting to, to think about these studies in context of our own journeys, you and me. So we also wanted to talk a minute about the difference between belief in hell in the individual person and belief in hell in a community of people. Yeah, this this was this was very new to me. 
Okay, and I hadn't really thought about it before before finding this. Because did you think of it primarily in terms of the individual? Yeah, I had never really considered what were the implications of belief in hell for a community. And so just like, mm. oh, I never thought of that because it's so individual. It's your being saved. It's your decision. It's all of this very individual thing, which it is in that sense. But what happens to your community when you generally all believe that? Yeah, so this is a study published in PLOS 1. The authors found a belief in heaven was consistently associated with greater happiness and life satisfaction, while people who believed in hell were more likely to be unhappy and have lower life satisfaction. So that kind of ties into what we said before. There's nuance within the religion, but that belief itself can tend towards uh, feelings of unhappiness. Um, previous research actually showed that belief in hell or supernatural malevolence, I'm thinking maleficent now. Okay, supernatural malevolence, not maleficent, has correlated with improved rule following and less crime in certain countries. A higher number of people who believe in hell has also been associated with higher GTP growth mm-hmm. and lower national crime. That, I'm like, wait, I'm like, I'm like, wait, what? Like, that makes sense because I think it's like, well, don't do anything bad because Jesus is watching and he'll see you and then you'll go to hell. Mm-hmm. So it makes it's sense. Fascinating. So I wonder if this is like, so they say certain countries, it doesn't tell us exactly, but I wonder if it's like certain Catholic countries um, that have this certain worldview. I say Catholic just because um, a lot of countries that have a strong religion, a Christian religion or like a Christian belief in hell are probably traditionally Catholic. So that's, that's yeah. why I say that. Um, and from our last episode, there's a lot of religions and worldviews that have no concept. Exactly. Of hell. Yes. So if there's no, so countries that are religious and have a concept of hell probably are Catholic. I don't, that's just me speculating. Speculating. Right. Like that could but be wrong. I, I don't want to say, be, yeah. but yeah, improved rural following, less crime and higher GDP growth. Like, Wow. So for their, yeah, their economy. That's a surprising thing where it's like, it can be negative for you personally, but for your country, it's great. Yes. But it's this idea, again, perhaps of control, Mm -hmm. controlling people. So from an atheistic standpoint, right, Mm -hmm. we say, okay, this is a positive outcome, but at what cost? Mm. Is Is it the cost of believing a lie? That's probably what the atheist would say. Right. Believing a narrative to keep you in line. And overall, is that a good thing? And that doesn't sound, I mean, it does not sound good. Not maybe in the grand scheme of history, right? So kind of superstitious almost, Mm -hmm. perhaps. So even though a belief in hell from the study could lead to positive effects at a national level, on an individual level, there is another side of the story. Writing or thinking about hell can make people feel more emotionally down. Mm -hmm. It seems there's a trade-off. Asim Sheriff, assistant professor of psychology at the University of Oregon, told Live Science, which published this finding. Mm -hmm. So since heaven is a positive concept, People may be happier when they think about it in comparison to thinking about the negative connotations of hell. Hell is linked to the idea of a punitive God Mm -hmm. and fear of punishment. Though it may prevent some people from committing crimes, it can also make some individuals more anxious. However, the researchers point out that it's possible that people who are originally more unhappy may be more likely to think about hell or believe in it. And I'm really glad they brought that up because it's like we we see these findings. We have to remember, even with research, when you say something's researched, we're still interpreting the research. You're interpreting it and maybe they're just, you know, it's like these are conclusions, but we don't know why those things came about. So interpretation is important. And like you said, it's interpretation. So this the facts may be true, but why? They don't know exactly. Yeah. 
so you were finding this link between thinking of hell and unhappiness. Mm-hmm. But it, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Exactly. You know? That's kind of the idea here. Um, but it does appear that there is potentially a link between improved rule following and less crime in collective groups of people. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, growing up at an individual level, this was definitely something, too. Like you said, the thought Jesus was watching you, um, you know, and, and having fear about hell already, there was definitely uh, a desire to follow rules. So it's really interesting to think about that on a larger scale with communities of people. Mm-hmm. So anyways, moving on. Do some people actually crave the concept of hell? Yeah. Why would that be? Tell us what you found, Jenny. This was very interesting to me as well. Why does this idea of eternal damnation persist? Because it really doesn't seem, it doesn't seem good. And a a lot Mm. of people can argue that it's not biblically, philosophically, or morally justified. So what what kind of draws us back to this? This article I found does highlight some of the maybe negative parts of human nature um, because his conclusion, this all, he's a philosopher, Dr. David Bentley Hart. He's a philosopher and his, his conclusions I think is very interesting and I'm excited to hear your take on it. He kind of starts out by saying, you know, it's comforting to imagine that most Christians generally accept the notion of hell, a hell of eternal misery, not because they're emotionally attached to it, but because they see it as a small, inevitable zone of darkness preferable to a larger spiritual landscape that, viewed in its totality, they find ravishingly lovely. And this is true for many, and I think Mm -hmm. this is mostly true for me, that the idea of hell is small and compared to the beauty of a relationship with Christ. But this isn't true for all Christians. And he says, for a good number of Christians... Hell isn't just a tragic shadow cast across one of an otherwise ravishing vistas through motor corners. Rather, it's one of the landscape's most conspicuous and delectable details. And like, Ugh. delectable, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I'm kind of quoting more fully this articles. I'd really just like enjoy the writing style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In reviewing these details of hell, uh, you might picture Augustinianism's unbaptized babies descending in their thrashing billions to a perpetual combustion, or Dante's exquisitely psychotic dreamscape of twisted, mutilated, broiling souls, St. Francis Xavier's morosely informing his weeping Japanese converts that their deceased parents must suffer an eternity of agony, or your poor old aunt Maud on her knees each night in a frenzy of worry over her reprobate boys, and so on. And so this is not a lovely picture or something that I think anyone would desire. And so you think, surely it would be welcome news if it turned out that on this matter of hell, something got garbled in translation, and there really is a lot of room for doubt, doubting this version of hell, at least. Yeah. At least for you and me, that's what we would hope. We would hope. But apparently not for it, everyone. Yeah. The author, uh, I didn't include these quotes, but he's been on to say, like, he, he's published things about this before, and this really, people just get all up in arms and aggressively defending this view. I'm like, why would you want that to be true? This is like, yeah, the infernalist view. If this could not be true, wouldn't that be better? And Mm. he of course does go on to say, you know, it's not, it's not a crazy thought. Of course, as we've touched on, there are verses in the Bible that seem to support that. And then of course there are also verses that don't. So I'm not Uh, the infernalist. Yes. Of the infernalist view or, the universalist view where everyone is saved in the yeah. end or the annihilationist view. 
Still, none of that accounts for the deep emotional need many Christians seem to have for an eternal hell. So saying that even if you see support for it, why does it feel like such a need? And Mm. we have theology, theological history has given us a few examples of why we might have this need. And this is something from Thomas Aquinas. So back in the day, you know, several hundred years ago, he claims that the beatitude of the saved in heaven will be increased by their direct vision of the torments of the damned because so the beatitude meaning like the yes beauty, sorry what does yes that mean? so uh it's more beautiful to them so he's saying one of the reasons why for thomas aquinas and other historical theologians is that wow when you when you're in heaven and you're saved you feel even better because you see the damned being tormented and i'm mm. thinking i don't that just doesn't seem right or good. That doesn't... I wonder if that's based in the idea of contrast. Yes, yes. Which I read a little bit about last time. But the idea of... And I felt this too. I feel better. When I used to watch The Walking Dead, I was like, I feel better about my life. Not because I'm glad what's happening to you, but I've seen it and it's not happening to me. And now I'm feeling better. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if that's where that comes I think from. that I is know. the most positive way to look at that is that in contrast you're not being punished for eternity and so you're happy but that's just kind of it's almost like that's like a neutral like i'm not being damned so i'm happy versus i'm experiencing joy but that's another yeah. conversation that's a problem right i think if that's what the good news right. is right <laughs> because i think that often is like, the good news is that you're not being damned uh, so what you were saying i think is the most positive spin on that but dr hart <laughs> He thinks that it may be more honest to think that it's really a it's really that secret pleasure in many of us that we've all felt, and this is true. I think we've all felt this that we um, derive pleasure from when we win and others lose. And so, if no one is losing, then are, are we even winning? So he says, "How can we be winners after all if there are no losers? Where is the joy in getting into the gated community at the private academy if it turns out that the gates are merely decorative and the academy has an inexhaustible scholarship program for the underprivileged (laughs) i I know (laughs) what success can there be that isn't validated by another's failure what heaven can be there for us without an eternity in which to relish the impotent envy of those outside its walls like wow so you're saying that for me to be happy i need someone else to be unhappy which hmm. I want to be better than someone else. It's it's very problematic, but I do kind of wonder, at times I kind of felt like this, like we're in the Christian club. Like we are, we have figured out what the best way to do things is and we're hmm. special and we're blessed because of this and we can expect these good things and we're special in that way. And so if you're not special like that, then, you know, you're not you're not in the cool kids club, maybe. Maybe. And even recently, as we were doing this series, the thought occurred to me, are we in purgatory now? Right. Mm. (laughs) The Catholic idea of purgatory of being sanctified on your way up. Mm -hmm. And it was a bizarre feeling I had when I thought of that, because I thought, oh, really? Me? Like, really? I'm not almost the idea of like, oh, I'm not one of the good ones already I still have work to do which was very fascinating for me to think of because you know I I don't at the at the conscious level I don't think that there's the superiority or mm-hmm. anything but I do wonder if it kind of gets under into our subconscious where there is this weird 
desire almost for blood. I mean, you think about people watching gladiators in the past, mm, right? You know, great source of entertainment, and uh, just even watching horror movies now mm-hmm. and things, people have. It's all I know there have been studies on that and why that is, and that would have been kind of interesting to bring in. We didn't, mm-hmm. but we do know that there's this part of human psychology that does, in certain ways, crave the demise of others. I, I think... And it's, it's gross. It's, it's gross, but it makes sense. I think we've all felt it, not in the degree of, like, I don't want to watch people being damned for eternity. Like, I don't think that would make me yeah. feel happy. But we I think we've all yeah. felt that, like, I want to win, and I want someone else not to have that thing. And I know I... I definitely struggle with pride. And so I deeply feel what you're saying, but Mm. this idea of like is purgatory now. And I think I wouldn't use the word purgatory in the same way that the Catholics would use the word, but I think, yes, absolutely. Like we are becoming more like Christ. And what does that process look like? Part of it looks like burning off the dross and burning away Mm. things that are not good. And so as we're on earth, I mean, part of what we're doing is becoming more like God and growing and changing. And that is a process. It's just also crazy to think though, that as Christians, so many of us are, are preaching to, especially the evangelical way, trying to keep people out of hell. Mm -hmm. And yet the thought that if we ended up supposedly succeeding at our job Mm -hmm. and no one's in hell, there would be those among us who are disappointed. Yes. <laughs> like, what a strange thing, right? I don't know. Yes. I, I think that that is part of human nature that I think, again, like this this Dr. Hart is not, he's not citing a study, but just his experiences and his religious studies. And it does mm-hmm. make sense to me that some people who like that exclusive feeling that's not the best part. That's not the best part of them, but that might be one of the reasons why this version of hell persists the way it has. Yeah. Especially because I think there is just enough, just as much evidence, even from a biblical, I, I feel funny about the word biblical, but the way often the, mm-hmm. the word biblical is used by evangelicals in particular, I will say here there, I believe is just as much biblical evidence for annihilationism and universalism as there is for this idea of eternal conscious torment. I agree and with yet you. And yet we default, we default, even if you don't want to deconstruct really Christianity or the Bible or change your thoughts right. on that. It's like there's a, there, if you look at this topic, you can find support for multiple views and they all have their own problems, including mm-hmm. infernalism. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's support is much higher in my no. opinion from what I've seen. So, but why do we persist in the idea of infernalism for many of us? And I think, I think for me, I thought it was a trauma response mm. because it's like, well, there's more to lose if you're wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're wrong about this, there's more to lose. And I also think there's this understanding that what you believe about hell is directly tied to if you're saved. Mm. And I don't think that is true because I've been talking to someone recently who told me, you know, she's become more outspoken about thinking that no people do go to hell. And she's had a lot of friends come at her for that, saying you're not a Christian. You're trying to do things that are not godly. And it's like, that confuses me because this is not a, from what I, if you just do a straight reading of what is required in the Bible of what is to be saved, granted, we can parse that out, you know, but a direct reading, which so many are doing, it it says nothing about hell, nothing about your beliefs on hell. Right. So why, 
are we so white knuckle gripped on this? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was the trauma response, but this, this article is really interesting to say maybe there's something in us that actually delights in it. And I, I hate that. I think (laughs) there's the other side of the, maybe not the other side of the coin, but I think another reason maybe just as I'm thinking through it is this cultural, like, this impetus like well this is what joins us together is this desire this it's fear-based this desire to not see people we love and know or like anyone Mm. go to hell and so that makes us unified and if we take that away again why would you evangelize well Mm. of course i think that's wrong and as i said fear-based because it's also like well being in heaven and being what's the word like just experiencing that joy and pleasure they equate that with not being in hell. So it's almost like that's your neutral, mm-hmm. but you're not really experiencing the love and joy of God. Like you miss yeah. that boat. You don't see that it's so much better that we, yeah. we can move beyond neutral. The The goal is not to be in hell. Yes. The goal is to be experiencing Christ. Yeah, I love that because I think as I was posting recently about the thought, maybe no one goes to hell. Mm. Truly, either they're annihilated or everyone ends up in heaven. Mm -hmm. It was like, then what's the good news if it's not to save you from hell? We've talked about this a little bit. What is the good news? And I think that is going to be the one of the great, even revivals, what a Christian word, Mm -hmm. but one of the great revivals uh, or revivalist uh, discoverings of our... um, century even maybe Mm -hmm. is a new thought about what it means that we're gaining not that it's new thought because i think it's been there this whole time you know but a new emphasis emphasis. on yeah on no 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 this is about what you gain this is the life that's to be gained this is the transformation in you that's to be gained this is experiencing it all fully and holy like holy with a w Mm -hmm. holy you know and i just i don't know I'm, i'm kind of exploring that more for myself because i didn't realize how much even for me, it was wrapped up in what I escaped, not what I gained. Yeah. So it's just really interesting. So one little thing as we finish yeah. this up, especially as we finish up the idea of why do people, why do we need hell? Or why do we seem to need hell, some of us, mm-hmm. right? I did not mean to run across this study mm. that I'm going to bring up. It's actually, it's it just the summary of a few studies. But I started listening to the Huberman Lab. I don't know if you've ever have, heard of that podcast. I have not, but it sounds very interesting. It, it's so interesting neuroscience Ooh. and how our i mean some of the episodes are very long but just how you know our brains work how they're tied to our bodies oh, our like, emotions our, our lives that's my jam you definitely should check it out i have only listened to one episode and i'm a huge fan already i listened to an episode on gratitude okay. which you would think would have nothing to do with this <laughs> but what he found in this episode from multiple studies is that yes gratitude has a big impact on us but often the traditional ways we go about making our gratitude list mm. you know and trying to just be more positive they they don't tend statistically in studies to have the kind of results we might expect okay and have you uh, please uh, finish your thought i was i was going to ask you oh no if you have ever done gratitude journals or making lists, because I've kind of tried, yes. like, I I do not stick with that. Do you struggle with it? Yeah. So I do on and off. Okay. I have on and off for years, and I do think that they're beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, kind of what I said earlier about The Walking Dead, what his what the studies mm-hmm. he referenced find are really true okay. for me. Because what he found is there are really two ways that gratitude incorporated in our lives makes a much bigger difference. 
The first one is receiving gratitude, which of course makes sense to me. So when someone else expresses thanks to you, uh. the mental impact of that is huge, which kind of makes sense as <laughs> for me, I, I think of that also as praise, right? Yeah. I love being praised. Yeah. I love that. So that kind of gratitude is, um, of course, but then the other thing he found is when we can enter into a narrative where gratitude is experienced by mm. someone. And so the study that was done really had people kind of like escaping genocide. Mm. So when they're given help uh, from an outside source, us just listening to that story mm -hmm. has drastic effects on our mental health and well-being. Wow. Just listening and engaging with it, not even necessarily saying that happened to me, but kind of resonating with, I guess, the human spirit mm -hmm. sort of side of that and how he said that that, pract that sort of practice has more proven and more instantaneous effects, which is funny because, like I said, with The Walking Dead, it's the same, it's it's the like, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing. You're like, I'm not. Wow, that person narrowly avoided having their face eaten <laughs> off. Wow, I feel that deeply. You know, and so I've never seen The like, Walking wow. Dead, but because it, it looks kind of gory and scary, and I don't it, do well with like <laughs> jump scares or gore. <laughs> it definitely funny. has all of that in there. But I was like, whoa, this is wild, and. It, it just, as I was listening to this on my run, I stopped running and I thought, oh my goodness, is this partly why we crave help? Mm. Because we, over and over in our churches, sing about how Christ saves yes. us from hell. Not just me, saved you from yes. hell. Saved you. You who were living in drug addiction. You who were, you oh, know, yeah. you had this bad thing. And now I'm watching this narrative play out in the song or in the sermon where God took that and made it good. And now I have this intense, you know, chemical rush in my brain, really, mm -hmm. of feeling gratitude and feeling connection. And feel not. And I don't want to say chemical rush in the sense that that makes it not real. No. Because, it makes you know, it more. I think it makes it more real, actually. It's like your body is also physically reacting mm -hmm. to it. However, we can also manipulate bodily yes. reactions. So we do have to keep that in mind. But it occurred to me, and this is just the Elizabeth interpretation, like this study had nothing to do with hell. But I wonder if some of why we crave hell existing is because it does, almost like, um, was it Aquinas before said? The contrast. Yes. And the scene, a narrative where help is provided to someone in great need. And in the hell narrative, it's... The it's biggest the biggest need. possible the, need. Right? And help is provided. And it's provided for all of us here. And it's like this um, intense emotional rush, potentially. Mm -hmm. But it ties back to our question then, if there's no hell, what are we excited about? Mm -hmm. And I think it, that's where I'm going to probably be exploring more for myself. Like, if this is the thing that got us all chemically wound mm -hmm. up, you know, that we've escaped this, that we're in, in God's family now oh, wait, we didn't have to escape that? So what does it mean to be in the family? You know, is that still good? Is that still something to get excited about? I think maybe it's almost a more mature faith if you don't, and, and this sounds very <laughs> cocky of me, I guess, but to be like, to me, I'm thinking, can my faith still exist mm -hmm. without having to look at what I escaped or what you escaped and looking only at what we've gained? Yeah, you can take... I think you can take away the hell narrative and still feel like you're escaping something bad because we're still in the Christian narrative. So that's what I'm speaking to is that there's a sickness yeah. of sin. We're sick with it. It's mm. making us, it's, we're ill and we're suffering. And as we are continually refined, 
we are we're we are rescued and are being rescued from that and it's better like so we are escaping something but it doesn't have the initial you know the initial impact of what you were talking about but i still believe like we are we are rescued we have been rescued we are being rescued yeah that's beautiful and also the idea for me i think about my lowest points Mm. in life and i've heard universalists say this the idea of Hell exists and it's on earth. Mm-hmm. And it's what we go through. It's almost more validating of that. Oh, Christ came to save me from, from yeah. this. From this, like, this sexual trauma. Or the, how this is, you know, how this is affecting my brain. Like, there's there's a way forward. And, you know, I know our atheist listeners are like, well, he could have stopped it. He could have I know. It. And I, but that's another talk yes. for another day. Yeah. Because, yes, he could We're have. Acknowledging there's it. Reasons but I still, yes. Yes. But when you've, if you have ended up in the Christian camp, and you're saying, I still do believe God is good, and I still believe there is a drastic soul-level saving that is available mm-hmm. to me. That is good news. We all have our traumas we're dealing with. Like, that would be good mm-hmm. news. Uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Sure. Here. I haven't really formed these thoughts. But I think I have felt through this series of hell, doing it with you, I felt kind of a sadness I haven't felt mm-hmm. in a long time. And I have also felt kind of an excitement I haven't felt in a long mm. time because I've thought oh there's I've, I've I feel like I've, as a Christian I've tasted some of this good news quote yeah. unquote, that we're talking that but now I'm like oh there's more there's like there's oh, you got maybe yeah. you got to neutral but there's so much more like you're yes. really starting to taste and see that the yeah. Lord is good I liked what you said about neutral too I think that's true I think in my life Having an infernal hell has made me real excited about having mm-hmm. a neutral life. It has not made me excited about having a full yeah. life and a whole life. And I think that is more where the good news is at. Yes. So, That's it. You you nailed it. So for our atheist agnostic listeners, you know, here we are. Uh, we are both Christians, as you mm-hmm. know, as, you, as we've said from the outset. So you get a little bit of that in there, too. But I do know this season we've had... Um, We've had a lot of people who are, who would identify mm-hmm. as Christians, but are really struggling. And I just think, you know, if you are being told, unless you accept an infernalist view of hell, you're not a Christian. I just, that's not even a historic. Right. <laughs> people in history haven't no, thought that. No, not at all. And it, it's okay to question. It's okay to look. You don't even have to call it deconstructing because honestly, mo- a lot of this series has felt just like biblical mm-hmm. research. That's what makes me so angry about how angry the church gets with deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It's like we're doing, we should be doing the same thing, you know, already. But anyway, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on, for talking with me on this, for going to the depths yes, of hell. To the depths of hell and back. We've done it. this episode was meaningful to you please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming